One of the worst things I think anyone can face as a parent is the death of a child. This afternoon, I'm going to preach a funeral uh, for a, a young man that was killed in a house fire last week in Homewood. Uh, his grandfather uh, contacted me about that. Three years ago, I buried this, grand, this man's son, Barry Blankenship. Does anyone remember Barry? Attended church here faithfully. He was a great guy. Well, his son, Bear, passed away last weekend, so I'm going to be doing that young man's uh, funeral this afternoon. And i, I got to be honest with you, I'm dreading it. I just dread doing funerals like that. Young people that die tragically. I just think one of the worst things anyone can face in this life is the death of a child. And back in February of 87, Lorna and I moved to Clanton to be the youth pastors, youth and worship pastors at Temple Assembly of God. And just a few months after taking that position, our senior pastor and his wife went on a trip to the Holy Land and they left me in charge. <laughs> yeah. And less, really, less than 24 hours later, I received a phone call saying that one of our church families had lost an infant child to SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. And I, had, I found myself walking with this family through this awful event that had taken place in their life. And somehow God helped us through it. And, uh, and uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I just did it. <laughs> It's all about funerals today, I guess. I did a funeral the other day for that um, several months ago for that baby's father who just recently passed away. I just really think that losing a child to death is one of the most tragic things we as human beings can follow and can, can endure. And I think that that's why this part of Abraham's story in chapter 22 captivates my, my imagination. I just can't, it's, it's too big a story for me to almost comprehend. I can't imagine offering Andrew or, Isaac, or, or Micah in such a way. But God tells Abraham in chapter 20, 22 to do something that to me seems impossible. To offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering to the Lord. I just can't imagine. This story blows my mind when I think about it. Isaac is Abraham's long-awaited miracle baby from God. Abraham waited 25 years to hold baby Isaac in his arms. And now God is saying, you got to offer him to me as a sacrifice. Little Isaac has grown up to become a fine young man. The joy of his daddy's heart. Isaac is probably a teenager, maybe a young adult by this point in his life when the story takes place. And all of God's dreams and promises to Abraham are wrapped up in this young man. All of them. Becoming the father of many nations is wrapped up here in this young man. The legacy has, that Abraham has been promised by God, it's here in Isaac. All of Abraham's hopes and his dreams and his aspirations in Isaac. And now God asks the unthinkable. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son on a bloody altar. I mean, it's, it's just awful to me to think of losing a child, but it's almost unbearable to think about taking the life of your own son in obedience to God. I just can't even imagine. I mean, how, how, how could Abraham explain it? What would Abraham tell Sarah? 
How could Abraham bear to live with himself if he followed through with it? What would happen to Abraham's hopes and dreams if he obeyed the command of the Lord? And why? Why would God, this is the real big question to me, why would God tell Abraham to do something like this? It sounds primitive. It sounds pagan. It seems like an impossible, unreasonable, and even cruel demand from God. Why? You ever ask yourself that question? Why? Why would God tell me to do this? Why would God require this of me? You ever ask that question? Verse 1 tells us why. Verse 1 tells us why God commanded Abraham to offer his only son Isaac as a burnt offering. God is testing Abraham. God is testing Abraham's faith in God. And as the story unfolds, we see that Abraham passes the test. And he passes with flying colors. Abraham's obedient, faith-filled response to God's command is the high point, I think, the high point of faith in human history. You want to know what faith looks like as it, as, it, uh, as it becomes us? Here you have it. Abraham demonstrates for us what real faith in God looks like. When God asks the impossible, you obey. So as we look at this story today, I want to attempt to answer two questions. I want to try to answer two questions because you yourself might find your, your, yourself in a test today. God asking something of you and, and requiring something of you and your first instinct is to say, no, not me. Not me, not this. Not now, not ever. But there are two questions I want to try to answer today from this little story that I think will help you if you find yourself, when you find yourself being tested by God. First, why does God test Abraham? Why does God test us? Why? And second, how can we develop faith like Abraham had? How can we pass these tests with flying colors? How can we develop a faith that responds to God in obedience, no matter how impossible his demands seem to be? I know some of us are probably facing a test of, of faith today. It can come in different forms. It might come through the form of a physical illness. It might, might come through... Uh, in the form of a, uh, a financial setback, a career setback. Uh, tests of faith happen all the time in different ways. I don't know where you're at, but I just pray that God somehow drives these truths home to you today. I'm, what I'm praying for is that Abraham, this story, can give us some pointers to help us pass our own test of faith with flying colors. Let's read chapter 22, verses 1 through 18 together. It's going to be on the screen. You may want to get, get out your own phone. Uh, your own Bible, and read it along with us. Here it goes. Read it. It's going to be a long passage of Scripture. Just go with us. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. 
We will worship, and then we will come back to you. We will worship, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What's always funny to me is that Isaac didn't fight his father. That's another sermon. Anyway. Where was I? Thank you. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Hang on to that line. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. Oh, Father, the story is so deep and so beautiful and so frightening. Help me as best I can, Father, to share with this wonderful group of people what you've shared with me. Get me out of the way. Speak through me, I pray. Bring hope and faith into the hearts of your people. Whatever defenses might still be in place, God, Tear those things down now. Tear down those walls. Uproot those strongholds. Let your word, let your word, God, have its effect. We'll praise you and thank you. As you take us, continue to shape our lives and form us into the image of your son. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for everything. In your name we pray. Amen. Why does God test his people? Why did God test Abraham? 
If you, you've read the story of Abraham, many of you, so you know for yourself already that Abraham, he had an outstanding track record as a follower of God. Abraham believed God and left his homeland, his familiar surroundings, his neighbors, his family. At the command of God, Abraham just got up and left his home and went to a promised land he had never seen, taking God at his word that the Lord would lead him there. Abraham had an amazing track record. He believed God when God promised him a son, even though he was 75 years old. I can't even imagine wanting a kid at the age of 75. But Abraham believed God, and God gave him that son. What an amazing track record of faith. Abraham obeyed God's command to have everyone, including himself, circumcised. Think about that for just a minute, guys. That's pretty radical, right? Pretty sacrificial. I mean, it seems to me that Abraham had gone over and above in proving his faithfulness to God by this point in his life. In my opinion, Abraham had checked all the boxes off. He was everything God was looking for in a man, in my opinion. But you know what? My opinion doesn't count for very much. The only opinion that matters is God's. And for whatever reason, God had his reasons for testing Abraham. And even though you might not understand why you're being tested in the way you're being tested today, let me tell you something. God has his reasons. He has his reasons. There are three I want to point out to you, and maybe one of these reasons will resonate with you. But there are three reasons I want to point out to you from the Bible that gives us some insight into why God tests his people. First, God tests us to get us off the fence. He will test us to get us off the fence. Abraham didn't seem to be half-hearted in his faith, but people like you and me, we often are, amen? We, we're like some of the students in my Bible class who are more concerned about how quickly they can finish an assignment rather than how well they finish the assignment, right? We just want to get through it. We tend to look at the minimum requirements for discipleship instead of giving everything we've got to discipleship. We want to be a fan of Jesus. We don't want to be a full, a, a fully, a, 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 a fully, a full, wholehearted follower of Christ. We'd rather give Christ just bits and pieces of ourselves rather than the whole package. So God will often test us to get us off the fence, put us in a place where we've got to sell out. We can't continue to withhold from God what He has purchased and owns rightfully. God tested the Israelites in the desert. They asked Moses why, and Moses told the people in Deuteronomy 8.2 why they were being tested. He said to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now listen, let's be clear. God already knows what's in our hearts, but sometimes we don't know what's in our own hearts. God already knows, God already knows when we're just coasting along in our faith. And sometimes we think we're doing just fine because we have a terrible habit of comparing ourselves with other people. Come on. 
I'm okay because they're okay. But at least I'm not them. You ever caught yourself saying that? Sometimes we think we're doing just fine. So sometimes God has to test us to get us off the fence, to help us see ourselves as we really are. Weak, holding back, disobedient in certain areas of our life. So God tests us to shake us from our spiritual complacency and move us toward a more committed, a more wholehearted faith. So reason number one why God tests us is because He's sometimes just trying to get us off the fence. Get us to dive in a little bit deeper. Become a little bit more committed in our walk with Him. Secondly, God will also test us, the Bible says, to keep us focused. To keep us focused. Because even the best of us can get distracted. Even the best of us will find ourselves distracted from God's purposes and priorities for our life. I think that might have been the issue with Abraham, to be perfectly honest. He was so satisfied with Isaac, and he so enjoyed the blessings of fatherhood that, that Abraham might have lost his focus on the Lord and instead began to put his focus on Isaac. Isaac became his hope. Isaac became his future. No, 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 no. We can't afford to get our focus off the Lord. He's our hope. He's our future. It's so easy for us to lose focus in this life. And so often, when we experience the blessings of God, we begin to focus on the blessings rather than the one who gives us the blessing. Can I get an amen? If I can just get that job, I'm going to be fine. So we set our focus on the job. We get the job only to find out it's more of a distraction than anything else. And what we thought was a blessing ends up becoming a curse when it's all said and done. Have you noticed that when things are going good, your spiritual life begins to go stale? Have you noticed that? Complacency affects us most when we're content and satisfied with the things we've got. But what, what those things we got end up, we, we don't own them, they end up owning us. We don't possess them, they end up possessing us. And so God sometimes has to test us to help us refocus our attention and our affections on Him, not on anything this world might have to offer us. But when things are going good, sometimes our spiritual life begins to grow stale. Our Bibles begin to gather dust. Our prayer time becomes inconsistent. Our worship becomes optional. Fellowship gets inconvenient. So those times of testing, when they come, I don't know about you, I find myself praying harder when I'm in the middle of a test. I find myself digging into the Word of God when I'm, fa when I'm facing a test because I want answers. And the Bible's our cheat sheet, right? So we find ourselves drawing closer to God when we're being tested because we know that without Him we can't make it. Without Him we won't be able to take another step. Times of testing drive us to our knees. Time of testing draw us into closer fellowship with other believers who have experienced the same things that we're, that we're experiencing, gone through the same things that we're going through. Times of testing help us regain Focus on what's most important to our life. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. But boy, these earthly things have a way of distracting our attention. So times of testing, God helps bring us back to get the focus where it belongs on Him, 
on his commands, on his promises. Third, third reason why God tests his people. He tests us to get us off the fence. He tests us to keep us focused. The third reason the Bible makes this really clear is to make us more mature, to grow us up, to make us more mature. James 1, 3 through 4 says this, The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking, not lacking anything. You guys know how it works. If you've had any experience with jewelry, to make gold pure, you have to first pass it through the fire, right? If you're going to turn a piece of coal into a diamond, what do you got to do? Put pressure on it. To turn an 18-year-old kid into a good soldier, what do you got to do? Put him through boot camp, right? To make us better Christians to make us stronger Christians, to make us more mature, more complete in Christ, what does God have to do? He has to bring tests into our life. It puts pressure. We feel the pressure. We feel the stress. We feel the strain. And we learn that it's not in our strength that we're going to make it. It's in His strength. It's not anything in the world that can give us peace. He gives us a peace in the midst of all the turmoil and all the stress and all the strain. Heartaches and disappointments. Listen, in the hands of God, heartaches and disappointments become tools in the hand of God to mold us into, the, into His kind of people. Adversity and hardship become a furnace that God uses to remove the impurities from our lives. Unmet expectations and unfulfilled dreams force us to deal with our character defects and our self-centeredness. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says that one of my favorite verses, please go home, study it, memorize it. I'm going to read it to you from the NLT. It says, and we know that God causes everything. Say that word, everything. Everything means good and bad, right? And, God, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. This is God's end game. This is what God's trying to do in your life. He's not trying to put a happy smile on your face. What He's trying to do is conform you to the image of Christ. And that's a lot. And that doesn't come easy. It goes completely against our nature. We want what we want. Sometimes God has to take our little puny fist that's shaking, you know, and he's got to pry our fingers open to get what he needs from us and wants from us. To make us like Christ. As difficult as it may be to believe today, God knows what he's doing. I don't know what test you may be in right now, but I can guarantee you this. God knows exactly what he's doing in your life and there is purpose behind it. The test you are facing has a purpose. And God designs these tests to build you up, not break you down. It's really important we get this. God is putting us through this fire. He's putting us through this stressful situation. Not to break us down, but to build us up. To make us more like Christ. And if you can get that paradigm shift, that attitude shift in your mind and heart, then the things that happen to you in this life take on a completely different complexion. Suddenly everything, good and bad, is for my good, ultimately for my good. God uses these tests 
to reshape our lives. He's not trying to ruin it. He's trying to reshape it. God uses these tests ultimately to conform our lives to Christ Jesus. That's his end game. So I've given you a couple of reasons, three reasons why God takes us through tests according to the Word of God. But now let's focus a little bit on this scripture and maybe learn a couple of things about faith and what God is trying to do, uh, trying to show us in Abraham's story that will help us develop a faith like Abraham. I want to pass every test that comes my way with flying colors. I want to come out smelling like a rose when I get through this fire. Right? How about you, right? I hope so. Well, here's how Abraham did it. I'm just going to point out a couple of things. God may show you some other things as you study the story for yourself. But I want to point out three things that Abraham does that we ought to do ourselves when we find our, ourselves in a place, going through a test, facing the fire. First, Abraham obeyed God immediately. He obeyed God immediately. We should obey God Immediately. I want you to notice Abraham doesn't argue with God about this command to offer his son as a sacrifice. He doesn't throw up defenses. He doesn't ask God questions. Questions asking God a question is not wrong. It's just that Abraham doesn't do it. What you see Abraham do is obey God immediately. Abraham simply did what God told him to do without delay. In verse 2, God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And in verse 3, it says. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be brutally honest here. Most of the time when God gives us a clear command, a clear command, we know it's God speaking, either through his word, through, through the Holy Spirit, in a, in a time of prayer, or maybe in a setting like this where a pastor's talking to you about the Word of God, we have a way, when God has given us a clear command, we start looking for loopholes. Why we shouldn't or couldn't or can't right now. Come on. That's the, I mean, that's, that's, that's sinful nature, man. There's got to be a way around this. Gotta be a back door somewhere. Gotta be a shortcut here. But Abraham just loaded his donkey. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He didn't debate with God, didn't try to find a loophole, didn't say, God, are you kidding me? Nobody does that. To have faith like Abraham. To have faith like Abraham, we have to do what God tells us to do. Uh, we got to stop our rationalizing. We got to stop justifying. We got to stop making excuses. We have to stop constantly looking for some rationale to disobey. We have to stop looking for some reason to put it off. We just need to get up early in the morning and load our donkey. Obey immediately. If we're going to have faith like Abraham, it requires that we obey God immediately, without arguing, without questioning, without delay, without rationalizing, without justifying, without defending, without looking for loopholes. Just do it for crying out loud. 
Just do what God tells us to do without delay. James 3, uh, 2.17 says it this way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. It's dead. And one of the great problems in the church today is we know what to do. We know what to do. Our heads are filled with knowledge about God. We just don't want to do it. Most of the counseling sessions I do, I have found myself over the years, and John would probably back this up as well, I simply ask questions. I don't give instructions. And what I find out in the process of asking questions is the people who are in a crisis situation already know what to do. They already know what God is telling them to do in the situation. They just don't want to do it. Is that not true in your own life? You're fighting with God, arguing, debating, not now, not me, not then. If you would just go ahead and do what you know to do, you would find that God's going to make a way where there appears to be no way. Bring healing where there appears there could be no healing. Restore relationships that you thought are completely gone and broken. Put your life back on the track you thought was gone forever. Simply do what God is calling you to do. There's, there's just no... There's no substitute for good old-fashioned obedience. Can I get an amen? Second, the second thing I want you to learn from this story that God has shown me is that we need to separate ourselves from negative influences. Separate ourselves from negative influences. Abraham took two servants along with him for a good part of the journey. This mount, the mount, to Mount Moriah. But as they approached the mountain, as they could see the mountain in the distance, Abraham said to those two servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Here's what I think as I read that story. I, I believe that Abraham knew those servants would try to stop him from what he was about to do. I believe those servants would have kept him from putting Isaac on that altar. I think those servants would have kept Abraham from obeying the word of the Lord. If you're going to have faith like Abraham, if you're going to have faith like Abraham, we've got to learn to separate ourselves from those negative influences that would keep us from obeying the Lord. We've got to share or show the same kind of wisdom in our own life. We need to separate ourselves from those who would say, you shouldn't do that. That's not the way God did it for me. We have, you know, that, that seems, God didn't do that, do it in my life that way, so it can't be right. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's about God, man. It's what God is saying. It's the way God is leading and there are going to be plenty of negative influences in this life that will discourage you from pursuing the will of God for your life. You have to learn to separate yourself. Matter of fact, this is a clear principle throughout the Word of God, the principle of separation. Separation. I mean, I could point it out. Abraham had to separate himself from his family. He had to leave his home and go to a promised land. Abraham had to separate himself from Lot. Right? It goes on and on like that. There's a principle of separation. Some of you right now, because you are hesitant to separate yourself from some of those negative influences are going to find those voices almost overpower the voice of the Lord in your, in your mind and heart. 
And they're going to distract you and keep you from obeying the Word of God. You have to learn to, that there comes a time, as painful as it might be, where you have to separate. There's nothing wrong with it. It may hurt. It may be painful. But there comes a time in your life where you may have to separate from those influences that are trying to draw you away from fulfilling the will of God in your life. Okay? You got that. And this is what Abraham did. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Guard that inner place inside of you where you make your decisions, where you feel your emotions, where you do your thinking. Guard your heart. Make sure that the stream of information coming into your heart, that intellectual, emotional, are, are good sources, encouraging sources, sources that are keeping you focused on what's most important, primarily the will of God in your life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. And no one hour every Sunday is going to overcome or overpower the influences that you are being inundated with throughout the week. That's why it's so important we take time on a daily basis to hear from God, to get into His Word, to pray, to spend time with Him. Proverbs 4.23 is one of those verses you ought to memorize. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Let me tell you, this is, this is, this is something, it, it's a hard message to, to, to preach because you don't want to make anybody look badly on somebody else, but it's just something that has to be said. Anyone and anything that discourages you from hearing and obeying God needs to go. Anyone or anything that discourages you from hearing God, from obeying God, it just needs to go. Friends, family, media, hobbies, business interests, organizations, habits, attitudes, there should be nothing or no one more important than hearing and obeying the Word of God. That's what it boils down to. And we see that in Abraham's life. The third thing that Abraham, we see in Abraham's life as it pertains to developing a, faith for, uh, a faithful walk with God is this. Just trust God. Trust God. I want you to notice that throughout this test, Abraham trusted God. He just simply took God at his word. For instance, Abraham tells the servants to stay while he and Isaac went up the mountain. But he says to his servants, and I love this, we, me and Isaac, will worship. And we, me and Isaac, will come back to you. We will worship. And then we I know God has called me to sacrifice him on the altar. I know that's what I'm going to do because I, I am determined to obey the Lord, but I know that somehow, in spite of this inconsistency and this dissonance, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know this. God's going to bring him back to me. You know, that's exactly what Hebrews says. Hebrews 11.9 says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. 
I love it. Isaac. <laughs> How he must have trusted Abraham as father. It's amazing to me. Lays on that sacrifice, uh, lays on that altar, bound. His daddy has the knife in his hand, and it's obvious what's about to happen. And when Isaac asks about the lamb, Daddy, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Abraham simply responded, God's going to provide. God's going to provide. Abraham had no idea how God would provide. He didn't know when God would provide. He just knew that God would provide. That's faith. That's the definition of faith, is it not? See, some of you are going through a test right now, and you don't know how in the world you're going to get through this. You don't know how. It seems impossible. Trust God. He will provide. You don't know how. You don't know when. But this is a God that can even raise the dead back to life again, right? There's nothing impossible with his God. Abraham was so confident of God's power and promise that he believed even if he sacrificed Isaac, God would bring Isaac back to life again. That's faith. Even when, listen, even when God didn't understand, or even when Abraham didn't understand all the whys, even though Abraham didn't know all the hows, he continued to trust the who. He continued to trust the who. And that's the key to Abraham's faith. He continued to look to God. He trusted God. No matter how impossible the situation seemed to be, he simply trusted God. And that's where faith begins and ends in God. Stop putting your faith in me, Cindy, and the 12 steps, and the situation that you're in, and the job that you got, and the car that you're driving, and the, and the promises that people are making. Stop putting your trust in those things. I mean, I, I, I come to you with the best of intentions. I want to make all the difference in your life that I possibly can, but I can't do everything I want to do or would like to do. I'm going to fall short. The people who, other people who are making promises to you, they're going to fall short. They have the best of intentions. That job you've got that you're staking all your hope in, guess what? One day, there's going to be a, uh, could be an economic downturn. You may lose that job. You can't put your hope, your trust, your confidence in anything this world. The only one you can put your faith in is God. Trust God. You may not know what you're going to do tomorrow, but God knows what he's going to do for you. You may not know what the future holds, but you can take it to the bank. He's got your future in his hands. He is going to provide where it seems there's no provision that's been made. Trust the who. Even when you don't know all the whys, even when you don't know all the hows, trust the who. That's where faith begins and ends. Trusting God regardless of the circumstances. Trusting God regardless of the size and the scope of the test you're in. Trust God. Philippians 4.19. And my God, read this with me, and my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Read that with me again. Come on. And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ. Do you believe that? Is that my promise to you? Is that Paul's promise to you? Who promises that to you? God. All your needs. 
Second Peter 1.3. Read it with me. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Read it one more time. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Everything. Has anything been left out of that promise? No. It's there. It's there. God has promised to provide whatever you need to get through this test that you're in. Will you trust Him? Will you take Him at His word? If you need strength, will you ask Him for strength? Because He will give it. If you need wisdom, will you ask Him for wisdom? Because He'll give it to you. It's there. It's all already been provided through Christ Jesus. Courage, willingness, patience, hope, peace. What do you need to do to get it? Ask. Trust God. Just take God out of if Listen, the whole Bible from start to finish is simply this. Trust God. You want to know how to live a, a wonderful, healthy Christian life? Trust God. Take Him at His word. Stop looking for loopholes and stop looking for weight. Just take Him at His word. Do what He says to do. Hold on to the promises He's made. Just keep walking it out. I say that all the time, don't I? Walk it out. Our problem is we want to quit right in the middle of the test. I had a student. I'm sorry. Everything goes back to Kingwood now. My experience there as a teacher. I had a student a couple years ago that was taking a final exam. And, and I, he got halfway through the final exam and put his pen down. And I said, why don't you finish it up? Uh, I'm just too tired. You're halfway there, man. We got another hour to go. Just go ahead and finish it up. You can finish, you can knock this out in another 20 minutes. Oh, man, my hand's cramping up. Look, just finish the test. You're going to end up with a B. If you don't finish the test, it's a guaranteed C. Nobody wants to get out of Bible with a C for crying out loud. I mean, I tell them all the time, if you're going to go to heaven, you got to get an A in Bible. You know, I tell them all <laughs> The kid would not pick up the pen and finish the test. Some of us are just the same way, though. We won't continue to walk it out. We get halfway through, done, done. My hand's cramping up. We have a million excuses, don't we? But what we don't know is if we had taken just one more step, who knows? But at that point, we would have walked out of that fire. You can't quit. That's what it means to trust God. Just take today as it is, make the best of it, and keep walking it out. He gets the final word. In the meantime, He has promised anything and everything you need to get through this, got you covered. Got you covered. Just don't quit. Persevere. Persevere through this. Look, His supply is limitless. Trust God. Trust God. You want faith like Abraham? That's a good place to start. Obey God immediately. Some of us right now, that's where we're stuck. We don't want to do what we know we're supposed to do. We just don't want to do it. Stop making excuses. Just do it. Just do it and see what God will do. Trust or, or separate yourself from, in, from those negative influences. There are people who are speaking wickedness into your life and you just, for whatever reason, are permitting that. Are you crazy? 
Are you out of your mind? There are people in your life, influences in your life, you just need to get away from them for crying out loud. Stop listening to those voices. They're misinforming you. They are tearing you down, not building you up. Make sure that the only voice you hear above every other voice is the voice of God. And third, just trust him. Take him at his word. You want faith like Abraham? It's just, that's a good place to start. Good place to start. Do what you know to do right now. Separate yourself from those ungodly influences and trust God. Trust God. Trust God. There's one more thing I want to point out to you before we go to communion. John, would you mind helping me with communion today? Thank you. I'm going to ask you to come up if you would. (laughs) This location. Uh, Let's go back. Darian, would you go back to the verse, I think, I don't have my glasses on, I think it's 14. The setting for this story of Abraham offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice, the setting for it is remarkable. And I wanted to point it out before we go into communion. God told Abraham to take Isaac, his son, to Mount Moriah to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. And Abraham obeyed, without delay, obeyed. That place, Mount Moriah, is the most sacred space on this planet. It's the most hotly contested place on the planet, even till today. On Mount Moriah, they built the city of Jerusalem. On Mount Moriah, Solomon built his temple. On Mount Moriah, God offered his only begotten son as a sacrifice for our sins. You see, what God was doing is he was giving us a little heads up about what he was going to do in the future. I want you to go back and read that verse. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Because God took a ram and substituted it in the place of Isaac, right? Right? Go on and read it. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world was slain for us on that mountain. You get that? God provided a substitute that day for Isaac so Isaac didn't die. About 2,000 years later, God provided a substitute for you and me on Mount Moriah so we wouldn't die. And that's beautiful to me, man. That's beautiful to me. Jesus is the lamb slain, his blood shed so that our sins could be forgiven and we could live forever with God on Mount Moriah. God has thought out every detail. Don't tell me he's not a planner. Don't tell me the mess you're in doesn't have a purpose. 
Don't tell me that. Uh Uh-uh. There's a plan and purpose behind all of it, and you can trust God who is sovereign to take care of you and to turn this mess you're in into a testimony, to turn this trial you're in into a, a victory. Trust him. Trust God. Trust, I can't say that enough, trust God. Trust God. Do what God wants you to do. You know what it is. Get away from those negative influences and trust God. Trust God.